Thanks for listening to this week's message. If you're blessed by this podcast, please subscribe. Once you do, you will be able to stay up to date with all our latest messages. We're in Revelation chapter 20, where Jesus is victorious at the Battle of Armageddon, and he casts the Antichrist and the false prophet into the bottomless pit. Let's jump into it. Okay, when we left off, we saw Jesus. He had on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Remember that? He came riding, and we are riding with him as he's coming into Armageddon. And we read tonight where the Antichrist and false prophet are going to be captured. They're going to be cast into the lake of fire. Uh, and it's going to begin the, the millennial kingdom with Jesus ruling and reigning from Jerusalem. So we left off, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, stop, time out, break, and then we pick it up from there. So let's see what happens next. You ready? The end of chapter 19, beginning of verse 17, Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather together for the supper of the great God. Let me stop here. What's going on again? Jesus, King of kings, Lord of lords, he's coming back to planet earth with a white horse. We're all on horses with him. He's coming into Armageddon. The Antichrist, the false prophet of the nations of the world are seeking to make war against him, and it's not going to go well. So we see these birds. The, the, the picture is, is the Valley of Megiddo. You have Mount Megiddo, but the valley there, the Jezreel Valley. So you have that picture. It's that valley, if you've ever been to Jerusalem, if you've ever been to Israel, you've seen that valley. We're going to see it uh, coming up shortly on our, on our trip to Israel. Uh, but here, I saw an angel standing in the sun, cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather together for the supper of the great feast of God. What's the supper going to be for these birds? It's, it's all these soldiers. Yuck! That you, verse 18, may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses, and, the, and of those who sit on them, and eat the flesh of all people, free and slave, both small and great. Yuck, yuck, and triple yuck. And I saw the beast, the kings of the earth and their armies, gathered together to make war against him, who sat on the horse and against his army. They, they're there, again, gathered in Armageddon to make war against Jesus and against us. So imagine, we're reading about it now. We're going to be in it then, going, woo, on our horses. And we're going to see all these birds. And we're going to see this. That's weird. <coughs> then, <coughs> verse 20. Then the beast was captured, and with him, the false prophet who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image, these two were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. <clears throat> and the rest were killed with the sword, which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. Wow! This is kind of crazy. Do you like action movies? You, you like the Avengers? This is better than the Avengers. This is, this is so, uh, so crazy. Um, Jesus, when he's, we last saw he's returning to earth, here we see him in the middle of Armageddon, and then we're going to see in chapter 21, behold, I make all things new. It needs to be new after the gross things we're reading about right here. Uh, and the most stunning thing, the most magnificent, magnificent 
thing about this is it's real. You know, we read these things in the Bible kind of like, they're kind of like, yeah, this, uh, a neat story. It's a Tom Clancy thing that's coming out like this or something. And listen, this is real. You look, you go, we're reading, it says against him and against his army. We're reading about us in the future on our horses watching what these birds are doing. Right now we're reading what they're doing. This kind of prepares us so we can know what's coming. Uh, I look at this and I think, man, uh, this is wild. This is crazy. Jesus is coming. But I look at this and I have my first question. What is up with these birds? Right? So what is up with these birds? It's real simple. Here's what's up with these birds. Ready? It's supper time. That's what's up with these birds. Um, remember Snoopy? And uh, remember he says, it's supper time. It's supper. That's what these birds are doing. Uh, there's this, these articles that appear every now and then. This Jerusalem Post, I think 2017, so a couple of years back. Um, Israeli vulture population is on the rise. And when I read these, these articles, they're usually tied, I don't know if that particular one was, they're usually tied to this passage that we just read. The vultures are coming, they're gathering in Israel, they're getting ready to feast. I don't know, maybe they are. Maybe God's already gathering them there. I really don't know. I, I'm not into sensationalism, and, and I'm not going to do a YouTube about it and say, this is happening right now, get ready, we're out of here at 12.06 tonight, I know it. I, I'm not going to do that. Um, but, uh, but, but I look at that, and I can't help but think of Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds. Yeah, and I remember, I remember that scared me when I was a kid. But, but uh, earlier in chapter 19, we saw last time was the marriage supper of the Lamb. This is uh, the horrific opposite. It, it's just absolutely horrible. Um, I saw an angel standing in the sun, crying with a loud voice, saying to the birds, Come and gather together for the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, and on and on and on. And then to verse 21, And all the birds were filled with their flesh. It's, it's, just, a, it's just really, really um, gross. Uh, what else you notice about this, it appears that the birds were beginning to eat before the armies were destroyed. Uh, like the movie, for those of you who remember that, you walk out and start getting attacked uh, by the birds. Maybe Alfred Hitchcock read chapter 19 and he was thinking ahead. I, I don't know. Um, but this is, this is pretty gross. Uh, but you look again and you think, here it is, the Antichrist, the false prophet, the rulers of the world thought they were going to fight against God and win. Uh, they were fools. If you listen to the media right now, that seems to be the constant underlying current, doesn't it? I'm blaming God. If there's a real God, it's his fault. Uh, the rest of it is there is no God. We're going to prove there's no God. We're going to win. Uh, get God out of the schools. Get God out of the courts. Get God out of the countries. We live in the Psalm 2 world where the world is shaking its fist at God. And the nations are raging, and Psalm 2 says God's going to hold them in derision. You look, and you go, man, that's the world we live in. And then they ultimately gather together at Armageddon for this battle, and it is not going to go uh, the way that they think it's going to go. But right now, you can see the attitudes. You see it all over the place. Such God-haters and righteous haters, righteousness haters, 
that are out there. Second question, what happens to the Antichrist and the false prophet? I saw, verse 19, the, the, the beast, that's the Antichrist, the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against Jesus, the one who sat on the horse and against his army. So again, uh, the world leaders gathering together with Antichrist to make war against God. And then the beast, look at this, verse 20, the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with uh, brimstone, and the rest were killed with the sword and, and, and so forth. Uh, so what happens to them? They're cast alive into uh, the lake of fire. 1927, the poet, the African-American poet James Weldon Johnson wrote a book of poems called God's Trombones, Seven Negro Sermons in Verse. The poem, sermon called The Prodigal Son, uh, began with these unforgettable words. Young man, young man, your arms too short to box with God. I love that. Uh, almost a hundred years ago, your arms too short to box with God. The picture is perfect. No matter how strong you are, you cannot in a rational mind believe you can fight God and win, but people do. Uh, people will. Even here, the Antichrist, the false prophet, and Satan himself will think they are going to battle against God, against the Lord Jesus Christ and win. I love that. Your arm's too short to box with God. I mean, really. I mean, you can picture God in heaven, and he's just, I, what, a, what, a, what a great picture this is. And then they all lose. The Antichrist and false prophet are cast into the lake of fire and all those who are making war against the Lord. Uh, number three, uh, how do they meet their end uh, in a most special way? Uh, the, the Antichrist and false prophet don't die. Uh, kind of in a, um, they're, they're captured, they're cast alive, verse 20. I look at the end of verse 20. They were cast alive, these two, into the lake of fire burning with brimstone I, I find this kind of like a villain movie kind of scene you know you just pick them up and they're thrown and they're thrown oh, and they're, 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 they're gone notice it also doesn't say who's doing the capturing and who's doing the casting usually you'll read an angel or the lord here it doesn't say they were captured and they were cast is it the lord who captured them and cast them no is it an angel or two that captured them and cast them into the lake of fire. I don't know. Is it the Lord, could the Lord say, we'll find out on this day, you know what, I have some servants that were severely, went through horrific things while they're on this earth because they love me. And I'm going to let them be the ones to cast into the lake of fire the false prophet and the antichrist. I, I could see God doing something like that. I, I, I don't know. We'll find out. But when we look at this world today, right? we have this, the Sri Lanka bombing. I talked about this earlier. The Sunday school children, the little-known tragedy of the Sri Lankan Easter attacks um, against Christian, Christian worshipers. I read an article yesterday. Just They refused to say worshipers, Christ, Christian. It was um, tourists were killed, visitors were killed, people from over here were killed. Um, 
and they had joined in this. It was more like the way it was portrayed is they were on a tour group coming from all over, not going to worship the Lord of heaven. They just happened to gather at a church on Easter Sunday because they were looking at the artifacts or something. I mean, that's how it read. They just can't say Christians. We're, we're killed by Muslims, but it is what it is. Gatestone Institute had this as a great article. If you want to pull it up and read it sometime, I encourage you to. It was so well written. Annihilation of Christian life and people. Where is the outrage in the West? Meeting catastrophe with indifference. There isn't any outrage in the West. You can't get it out of the media. You hardly hear it from any pulpits at all. Um, but you look, I mean, if you find out what is going on in Africa and what is going on in the Islamic territories, if you're a believer in Christ, I'm telling you, I already talked about this, but it's absolutely horrific, the slaughter that happens. But in Revelation chapter 6, when you have the fifth seal open, what do we see in Revelation chapter 6? In fact, I'll, I'll, let me turn back there and read it. This is what we read. The sixth seal is open. The fifth seal, excuse me. Uh, when he, when the Lord, this is John writing, chapter 6, verse 9. Uh, the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. In other words, they are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And they cried with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. Wow. <clears throat> How much longer till our blood is avenged on those? And we see this at Armageddon. And you wonder, I wonder, who's going to be casting these antichrists and false prophets into the lake of fire Will it be some of these? But you read that in Revelation chapter 6, until the number is completed of those who are going to be martyred. And we are watching the martyrs increase all the time, daily, but the world really doesn't want to hear it. The world would prefer to completely ignore it and pretend that it doesn't exist. The two groups of people that will continue to rise being persecuted against are this, Christians and Jews. It is going to rise, it is going to increase and increase and increase. Um, that's what the Bible teaches. Uh, we don't like to hear it, Christians don't like to hear it, Jews don't like to hear it. It's a horrible thing. I was having lunch in Jerusalem with a friend who is, uh, lives in Jerusalem. And he's Jewish, he was born there. And this is uh, about two years ago. And he wanted to talk to me about Bible prophecy. He's a believer. He's a Messianic Jew. He's a believer in Jesus, but he's still quite Jewish at the same time. That's hard for some people to understand, but uh, he's, he's a believer in Jesus. So we went out to lunch, and he was very bothered about Bible prophecy being taught in America, sometimes the way it is, with a glee in the teacher's eyes and the receivers of, of the, yes, yes, this is going to be awful. And uh, he said, do you realize that you prophecy people are speaking about my people being, being, going through another holocaust. And he said it with tears in his eyes. And I apologized to him. I said, look, I don't, I understand that. And I, I'm sorry for the way it comes across sometimes and, and uh, from some people, but I understand it. And it is a horrible thing. And that's why we warn. 
and want people to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And I do know this, that during the tribulation period, the greatest harvest of souls is going to be those who are Jewish. Um, I also know this, that whenever I speak pro-Jew anything, um, the, the people who speak against what I say just come out of the woodwork. I find it absolutely unbelievable, except at the same time very telling of the amount of anti-Semitism that comes from people who are involved in a church and just insist on attacking a Christian who would be a Zionist. I'm, I'm a Zionist. I believe the Jews have the right to the land. God is the original Zionist. That bothers so many people who go to churches. I don't get that. I don't understand that. But I do know this. I'm going to be on God's side in this. And uh, so I'm going to press forward. I'm going to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. But the two groups that get persecuted more than any other are the Christians and the Jews. Uh, uh, and it will increase as we get closer to that day. And, and my friend, when I had lunch, he was good after I explained things to him. He goes, okay, let's move forward. We're able to move forward. Still moving forward on different projects, which is really, really uh, cool. Um, number four, what kind of weapon does Jesus defeat them with? Verse 21, and the rest were killed with the sword which proceeded from the mouth of him, the mouth of the Lord, who sat on the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. Uh, the word of his mouth, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Take that to heart. Um, the word of God is what you use like a sword, it defeats the enemy. In fact, when you look at Ephesians chapter 6, we have the, uh, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith. We have the, shore, the sword of truth, which is the word of God. Touche. That's how you deal with it. You pull out the word. In fact, check this out. A second Corinthians, let's see. Um, second Corinthians chapter 10 says this. Think, keep this in mind. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, <clears throat> and every high <clears throat> excuse me. Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but they're mighty in god we have the word of god we have the power of the holy spirit we have the sword of the word of god and that is how we fight our battles we don't fight them in the flesh sometimes we get angry and we get better bitter that's the flesh uh, but our weapons are spiritual and powerful you have a problem with your imagination going into the gutter right here down casting out every, down every imagination that exalts itself against against God. Our, our weapons are not carnal. I, I love that. It, it just being able to God get into my head and fix the stuff that's in there, but it is a spiritual uh, battle. Well, let's move on from here. Verse uh, chapter 20, I, I want to get, we're only going to go through three verses here, and uh, then we're going to have to wrap up, but that's okay. Uh, it, it will be okay because it has to be okay, and we got hamburgers. Uh, chapter 20, verse 1. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit, and a great chain was in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. 
and he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up. Man, Satan in a bottomless pit for a thousand years. And he set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more until the thousand years were finished. What? But after these things, in other words, after the thousand years, he must be released for a little while. Um, so this is really cool. At first, it starts out rather glorious. Satan is cast into the bottomless pit for a thousand years. And, and, and we begin the millennial kingdom. This is totally awesome. But then he lets, God's going to let him out. Why is God going to let him out? That's next time. That's not going to be tonight. I don't have enough time to go into that. And I, I believe I have the, the answer on why God is going to let Satan out of the bottomless pit for the, uh, at the end of the thousand years. But let's get moving because we do got to get to the end or I'm going to hold you up here until 7 o'clock. Um, number five, I've heard of a coming millennial kingdom, hence messianic kingdom, but what is it? Uh, so uh, the millennial kingdom is a period of one thousand years it's the time when jesus returns to the earth satan just like this is bound for a thousand years and jesus rules and reigns in the first seven verses of revelation 20 there are six references to a thousand years bible scholars call that the millennium because the millennium is a thousand years uh, next time we will get into a lot of the really awesome details of the millennial kingdom the messianic kingdom it's going to be totally cool but i want you to think of this right now in this world all right let's put this together in this world right now we have race violence lawlessness murder crime fires pestilence natural disasters wars rumors of wars liars traitors wickedness of all sorts homelessness mental illness etc 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 and it's only going to get worse but there's great news. In the millennial kingdom, there's going to be peace on earth, prosperity, justice for all, safe communities, woo, ethical integrity, uh, racism is going to be gone. You start looking at these things and you go, man, this is going to be absolutely fantastic. At least I think it's going to be fantastic. It's going to be a lot like the Garden of Eden. Okay, now you and I, if you're here, likely you live in this valley or somewhere close enough to drive here. Hemet San Jacinto Valley. Can you imagine this and kind of like the Garden of Eden out here? Would that be cool? And, and no crime and mental illness is fixed and, and all the other stuff that we see going on? I, I don't know. I, I think it'd be good. When Hemet is a little bit like heaven that bumper sticker will indeed become true. Number six, um, my friend goes to church and says that there's no millennial slash messianic kingdom, thousand-year period. So what is up with that? Your friend is wrong. Uh, that's, um, uh, we'll get into more details on this next time, but let me give you uh, some of the doctrinal things as quick as I can to help you understand, all right? So when it comes to the millennial kingdom, these are the three main terms, premillennial, post-millennial, and a-millennial. Uh, when you hear of the term pre, uh, when you're thinking of Bible prophecy, often our minds automatically go into a pre-tribulation rapture, post-tribulation rapture, um, pre-wrath, mid-tribulation rapture, and so forth. Don't confuse that. A pre-trib, post-trib rapture, 
uh, mid-trib rapture, pre-rapture, they all fall into the first category, pre-millennial. What, uh, what does pre-millennial mean? Um, someone who is pre-millennial believes Jesus will return before this thousand-year period, the thousand years that we just read about that are going to be a fantastic thousand years. Uh, he's going to return before. Uh, I believe Jesus is going to return before the millennial kingdom. He's just like, just like we read. It'll happen like we read. He's going to return at the end of the tribulation period. He's going to destroy the Antichrist and false prophet. They're going to be cast into the lake of fire. And uh, Satan is going to be bound for a thousand years. Jesus is the one who begins the millennial kingdom, and he rules and reigns from Jerusalem. I believe it works out exactly as it says there. It's pretty simple. Um, but other people don't believe that. Someone who is post-millennial believes Jesus will return after the thousand-year period. Hence, pre-millennial, before the thousand years, post-millennial, after the thousand years. So someone who is post-millennial, usually what they, how it works out is they believe that man is going to fix this planet. At the end of a thousand years of fixing, we're going to say, here, Jesus, we've done a good job. I've looked. I, every day the whole planet gets worse. And I have friends that are convinced it's post-millennial. I'm thinking, if it is post-millennial, Jesus is never going to come because I see what we do. I mean, look at all the laws we have. Every single decision and law that man passes makes things worse. We can't even keep the Ten Commandments. We can't even keep one of the Ten Commandments. And we pile on more laws and more laws and more laws. I don't, so I, you know, I, I don't see it. And then uh, all-millennial is the last one. Someone who's amillennial believes there's no millennial kingdom, and at best, the teachings on the subject are just allegory. Uh, a uh, is uh, the prefix that means without. Hence, for example, an uh, atheist is, believes there is no God, right? Without God. A theist is someone who believes in God. I am atheist, not an atheist. Does that make sense? So, an atheist, no God. A theist believes in God. So, a millennial is, means no millennial kingdom. Uh, uh, there's, no reach, there's no thousand year period of Jesus ruling and reigning from Jerusalem. Uh, in fact, this teaching is the predominant teaching within churches in America and churches in, uh, in Europe. Did you know that? Uh, that's the predominant teaching. And it's uh, been the doctrine of the Catholic Church for hundreds of years. It led the Crusades. It was that teaching uh, that led that. It's uh, found in, uh, I believe, most Protestant churches now. And it's the teaching that you will find at the root of replacement theology when that says God is done with the Jewish people. Jesus ain't coming back to Jerusalem. Get over it is basically what they are saying. They have premillennial, postmillennial, uh, millennial. Number seven, we're almost done, just two more. How does an amillennialist explain these verses? Uh, incorrectly. So, I mean, I, um, here's, I'll, I'll, do, I'll do this quick, because I'm hungry. Um, they will say that the thousand years is figurative. The millennial kingdom, is, this is just allegory, what we're reading about tonight. And it re represents a t the time in which we are currently 
living. I, this doesn't seem like a joyous millennial kingdom to me when the wolf lays down with the lamb and that sort of thing. Uh, they point out that Colossians chapter 2, verse 15 says, having disarmed principalities and powers, Jesus made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. So Jesus already, he put an end to principalities and powers. It was done at the cross. Um, I agree. But the execution of the judgment, the punishment hasn't come yet. Satan is still going to be cast into the lake of fire. According to this, he'll be in a bottomless pit for a thousand years. And this world is going to wax worse and worse and worse. Satan was defeated at the cross. Uh, the sentencing, the final sentence, sin's already been done, you know, the lake of fire. But the actual uh, fulfilling of it. Let me give you an example. I think I told you this before. Did I ever tell you I was in jail? I did? Okay, then we can move on. Right? Okay. Do you remember it? Don't have to tell you again? Who said yes? All right, it was really quick. It was, it was really quick. All right, I did something really stupid. I won't tell you what I did that make it too long, and like I said, I'm hungry. Anyways, I ended up in jail in a holding tank. I mean, some of you are looking, listen, all right, now I have to tell you, because some of you are going to go, what do they do? So I, 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 I got pulled over by a cop. I lied to the cop about who I was. I told the cop I was my roommate. When I signed the ticket, I signed my name. The cop looked. He said, that's not John. That says Tom. Who are you? I said, I'm Tom. That's my roommate, John. I just lied. I said I was John because I didn't want to get in trouble with you. Now I'm in more trouble. So anyways, I got arrested and uh, for lying to a cop, I, and uh, I'm in the holding tank and, and waiting for my brother-in-law to bail me out, which he did. But while I'm there, people were coming into the holding tank. They were coming from one jail to the holding tank that I was in. Their sentence was coming, and they were getting transferred over to some prison or something like that. right? So they're here, but they're going there. The prison sentence is coming. That's the same idea. Satan was defeated at the cross, um, uh, the sentence is there, but the fulfillment is still coming in the future. Does that make sense? Okay, good. And I, and I wasn't in, I, I didn't, it's just in jail. I, look, I blew it, all right? I wasn't saved then. And what do you do when you're not saved, right? If I was a pastor and I did that, you would be appalled, right? No? <laughs> number, number eight. If, last one. If Satan is bound, then who has been bothering me all these years? That's a good question, right? When it comes to the millennial, says Satan's bound. Acts chapter 5, verse 3. Think through these things. Peter said, Ananias and Sapphira, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Well, that was after the cross and after Jesus ascended to heaven. Yes, Satan was alive and well and messing with them. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. If our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing whose minds the God of this age has blinded. The God of this age is Satan. How could he have blinded their eyes if Satan was bound and he couldn't do that after Jesus ascended to heaven? 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. If he's bound, how is he able to do that? Ephesians chapter 2 calls him the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now present tense, works in the sons of disobedience. How could he do that if, if he was bound and couldn't attack us, right? One more. Uh, in the present tense, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. 
How could he do that? Right? But he still has freedom. The, the final judgment for Satan has not come yet. Currently, he's on a search and destroy mission right now. But you are, if you're a child of the Lord Jesus Christ, you don't have to worry about it. The most Satan can do is roar at you and gum you because Jesus pulled his teeth at the cross. He was defeated in that way. You have victory in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's not bound yet. He will be bound. He's going to come out at the end of the thousand-year millennial kingdom. We will see what that is all about next time. And next time I'll also tell you why I believe he's bound and then let out. Amen? Amen. Thanks for listening and being a part of this week's podcast. Before you go, I'd like to invite you to visit our website, hopeforourtimes.com, and check out the many resources we have to offer. On our website, we have books, DVDs, and daily news articles that will always keep you up to date on the times we're living in. If you'd like to see the video version of this week's podcast, you can find us at Hope For Our Times on YouTube. God bless, and we'll talk to you next time.